0: I have to start by saying that um, as a child, one of my greatest fears was thunder and lightning storms. And I would, as a child, would go into the one room in our home where there were no windows, there was no TV, there was nothing where that light could get to me. And a couple times last night, the kids said, Mom, where are you? And I had found that room in our home. Um, Quite a show last night. I want to uh, thank Pastor George for uh, taking a risk this morning. Um, It's quite an honor for me to be here, and I do thank him. Um, I also want to thank my husband and my kids. I think my son's up in the balcony, and I think I have another one down here. You'll see him in a minute. Um, This is a family effort. My kids sat through a couple of dress rehearsals yesterday with a stopwatch, so um, they're with me as well. Let's uh, begin by opening our scriptures to Romans chapter 15. We're going to read together from uh, chapter 15, verses two through six. So if you're able, would you turn, uh, would you stand and turn in your Bibles? We're on page 924. Let's read together God's holy word. Each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfast and by, and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. is concluding uh, his letter to the Christian church in Rome and this first chapter, this first part of chapter 15 is really a continuation of chapter 14 as Paul addresses the argument among believers regarding what Christians can eat and drink. Remember that this church in Rome is very diverse. It's a mixture of Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, it's multi-ethnic and it likely has members who are both poor and rich. Through Paul's letter and through Pastor George's teaching these last few weeks, we've been challenged how we might engage politically and how we might agree to disagree. The church in Rome was far from perfect. It kind of reminds me of another church I know. We can be encouraged that while this letter was written a long time ago, it's very applicable to us today at UPC in Seattle. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may the words that I speak today and the thoughts that we are thinking be pleasing to you. You are our rock and our redeemer, amen. Well, it was 2014, December, um, I think it was December 1st or 2nd. I had met a friend in New York City for the long weekend after Thanksgiving, for a girls weekend. We walked through Manhattan, We ate at great restaurants, we watched a Broadway show, we did Christmas shopping, and we even rented uh, line bikes and rode down Fifth Avenue. That was before they came to Seattle, so they were a novelty. On Monday, we had planes to catch out of Newark, New Jersey, and our plan was to take the subway from our hotel to Penn Station and from there take the train to Newark. Well, our first challenge was getting our suitcases down the subway steps because there was no elevator. Our bags were overloaded with Christmas presents and gifts that we had exchanged. Um, but the, the real problem became, we became aware of, um, my friend had a broken wrist and I had a bad knee. So imagine what we were like as we clunked our bags down the steps one at a time to the subway station. Sweaty and out of breath, we waited for the subway. And when the train car arrived, it was absolutely packed. We laughed out loud and squeezed on board. It was the, first, it was the end of the first workday, after a long holiday weekend, and it was raining outside. So there were even more people in the subway. There was absolutely no room in this train car. We were literally wedged together like this, with business people and other commuters. And as the train jostled, they protected us from falling over. We looked more than a little inept. We were disoriented, tired, and clearly not seasoned New Yorkers. We were tourists. At Penn Station, we emptied out of the subway car and tried to figure out where to catch the train to Newark. We needed to descend yet another set of stairs, again, clunking our bags down each step. All of a sudden, I felt my bag lift. At first I thought, oh great, someone is stealing my bag. (laughs) But when I looked up, I saw that a very large man had a hold of my bag in one hand and my friend's bag in the other. And he carried them down the steps. He didn't really fit the thief profile, so we let him do that. We got to the bottom of the steps and we thanked him, and we reached for our bags. He said, oh no, I'll help you get the train you need. I'm headed that way, too. He continued to carry both of our bags and led us through the underground maze. At one point, I said to him, are you an angel? He laughed. We exchanged names, and I learned that he had played football, defensive line for UCLA. That explained his size. This guy was a giant, I mean huge. As we parted ways, my friend and I were overwhelmed with gratitude. We were so thankful for the help, direction, and kindness from this businessman. I was beyond encouraged. There seemed to be something different about this big man. Why would he do this? Why would he lift two very heavy bags and walk through a very busy train station, all for two strangers? This was something beyond, there there was something in his actions that went beyond kindness. Our burden was lifted. We were given clear direction and experienced genuine kindness. These acts reminded me of someone else that I know, Jesus. Did this big football player businessman know Jesus too? I think this is what the Apostle Paul is challenging the Roman Christians to consider, to look beyond their own interests or their own understanding, and to seek out a friend that they might please, a believer whose faith they might build up. Before we think about the idea of pleasing, let's be reminded of Paul's motivation. Remember that Paul was called Saul and was a Jewish leader, a Pharisee. His job was to examine and to judge how and when his fellow Jews were not following the letter of the law. Oh, he knew the law better than anyone and was quick to point out fault in his brothers. Hey, you can't do that. You can't say that. You can't eat that. Saul was enraged by those Jews among him who were claiming Jesus is Messiah. And he became the chief prosecutor against this new Jesus-believing community. Saul took great pleasure in insulting, persecuting, and even watching over the killing of Christians. Do you remember how, Saul, how Jesus got Saul's attention while Saul was hunting believers? As Saul traveled to Damascus, he was blinded for three days. And during this time, God allowed him to see the truth about Jesus. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who fulfills the law, the one for whom the Jews had been waiting. Jesus didn't come to call Paul a sinner, a murderer, all of which are true. No, in his grace, Jesus said, let me carry your bags. Let me carry your burden. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to let your critical bitterness eat you from the inside out. Paul writes in Romans 2 that in this moment he saw God's kindness and that God's kindness led Saul to repentance. As Saul turned his life over to Jesus, he not only received a new name, Paul, he also enthusiastically joined God's mission. Imagine the surprise on on his fellow Jews as he starts announcing that Jesus is Messiah. Paul was fired up, ready to tell anyone he met about his story and about Jesus Christ. Paul is fueled and motivated by the truth of Jesus Christ. He's given courage and the words to say by the Holy Spirit. Paul follows God's leading on where he should go and with whom he should speak. He lives a life full of adventure, and he gets thrown into prison several times. But Paul doesn't let his circumstance stop him from proclaiming the truth about Jesus. What caused Paul to do a 180? On what or on whom was Paul's life built? It was Jesus. And Paul wasn't quiet about this change in his life. No, he ran right back to the old crowd and he told them the truth. Jesus empowered and emboldened him to proclaim, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one, I get it now. Jesus is the foundation brick in Paul's life. In verse 2, Paul challenges the Roman Christians to think about how they might please one another, how they might build one another up in the Lord. In some translations, the word used is edify. I've been thinking a lot about this word, edify, It's the Greek word oikodome. It's an architecture word, a builder's word. And from this word, we get the word edifice, or strong structure, large structure. As a verb, it becomes the act of building. In the Bible, edify means to build or strengthen a faith. The builder becomes the one who is interested in strengthening the faith of another. Edifying bricks are those which point to the first brick, Jesus. The Apostle Paul, the one who was so good at tearing people down, whose earlier mission in life was to destroy the Christian church, is now issuing the opposite challenge. Build one another up. As I mentioned earlier, the Roman church had cultural and theological differences on which they were focusing. Paul could see that these debates were tearing them apart. His answer? Build one another up. Focus on what Jesus has done for you. Don't let differences differences get in the way of true community, of loving one another. When we testify to one another of what Jesus has done in our lives, we build one another up. N.T. Wright says it this way. The point of it all is not simply being able to live in peace and quiet without squabbling. That would be, so to speak, clearing the rubble. The point is to build, and what needs to be built is a common life of praise and worship. In building, we become more engaged in the project and less consumed with our own interests. Building is very different than tearing down. You can see that around all over Seattle. Martin Luther, the German reformer wrote, pleasing ourselves is the desire to receive the advantages of our neighbors but not their burdens. In other words, when someone buys the house next door and parks their shiny new boat in the driveway and you imagine the sunset cruise that you'll be on, I think we're getting it wrong. Instead, we might need to ask, how can I be a blessing to my new neighbors? What might they need from me? Lord, how will you use me? Paul writes in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself. Taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If Jesus did that for us, we too can put our interests aside for the sake of our brothers and sisters. Paul reminds the Romans and us that we should follow the example of Jesus, who, though he was God and could have had other plans, he gave his life for us so that we might live. So, what does it look like to edify one another or to build one another up? We often experience these faith building moments in one on one encounters. A meal is dropped off to parents of a newborn at just the right time. A handwritten letter arrives in the real mail. And someone took the time to express how their faith was buoyed by what you said. This summer, I watched two of our eighth grade boys tackle a high ropes course at Camp Spaulding. I think you can see a picture. One boy would keep his feet on the ground while the other strapped on a harness and climbed 30 feet into the air. It was the job of the grounded boy to watch for safety hazards. Clip one, clip two, he would yell. He was also in charge of scouting out the right route and offering encouragement. The first boy in the trees experienced some fatigue about midway through the route and called out, "'This is hard!' He finished the course and was was rewarded with a giant swing off the last tree. The boys switched places, and the second boy put on the harness and climbed up into the trees. And he became tired in about the same spot, but he also became afraid. Fatigue plus fear equals paralysis in the high ropes course. This boy sat 30 feet in the air and announced, "'I can't go on.' The grounded one one yelled up, "'You can do it. I know it's hard. Believe me. I know you're tired.' The tree-bound boy was defeated, and he sat with his head in his hands for what seemed like an eternity. "'I'm not strong enough,' he would call out. On the ground, with eyes focused on his friend, The other boy yelled, you are strong enough. I know you are. Use your long arms and legs. You've got this. As I watched, I was surprised that the boy on the ground never wavered in his support. Never did I hear him say, come on, I want to go swimming. He remained faithful to his job, which was to help his friend finish. Finally, the tree-bound boy was able to move on and finish the course. These two boys needed each other, and together they were successful. A middle school moment that might be remembered into adulthood. These two have found their lives intertwined in this UPC community since they were three. And perhaps as young men, they will remind each other, you've got this. As Christians, this is what Paul is calling us to, to remind each other, you've got this because Jesus has us. A faith-building brick is laid. Paul quotes from the Psalms, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. The psalmist of the Old Testament is pointing to the redeeming work of Jesus, and Paul gets it. He is demonstrating in this in this quotation that he understands that all of scripture, the Old and the New Testament, point to the redeeming work of Jesus. Sometimes we hear insults like, you're not good enough. You're not old enough. You're not smart enough. Or you're not good-looking enough. Lies we hear and tell ourselves are now lifted and carried by Jesus Christ. He takes the insults which are thrown our way. Paul reiterates that the Bible is one giant reminder of God's love for us. As we read and study the Bible, we hear Jesus call us by name. We read that Jesus has come to carry our heavy baggage. Jesus has given us much to tell our neighbors. God's written word is an edifying brick in our life. Sometimes faith-building moments occur in community, when Christian community exercise a collective muscle. In working together to strengthen someone else, the group gets stronger as well as the one benefiting. Let me illustrate with an example that many of you have participated with. Two or three times a year, groups of you travel to Tijuana, Mexico, to build houses for people that you've never met. You, the building team, take your eyes off of yourself and you work together to pour cement, Frame walls and windows, put on a roof and siding, paint the exterior, and hang a locking door. The new owners are overwhelmed. They're receiving a gift that they have waited years for, something they couldn't do for themselves. In the key ceremony, you watch the whole, how the Holy Spirit communicates the love of Jesus through the eyes in the circle. And there is a reminder of a gift that we didn't deserve a reminder of Jesus' love for us. A hope brick is laid. And then there are the neighbors, the bystanders, the people watching. What about them? While Paul's letter seems to be focused on the believers within the church, I believe that he intends for his message to spill out to the not yet believing. In Mexico, there are always neighbors watching. They gather to assess the progress. They wonder, who is this house being built for? And it's not uncommon for them to grab a hammer and to join in the building project. They participate, and as a result, they get to celebrate. They are drawn in, and maybe a faith brick is laid in their life, too. This summer, you commissioned a group of high school students and leaders for a week of mission and service in Jackson, Mississippi. I see you, Ashley. (laughs) One of the groups that we served with is called We Will Go. A team of missionaries called to a very poor and rough part of the city. There they live in community and focus on meeting the needs of their neighbors. And here's what one of the missionaries named Mariah wrote on her Facebook page just a couple weeks ago. She said this, during Sunday service, we had five teens attend, and we prayed for the soil of each heart to be open to what Jesus had for them. Immediately following the service, I sat with our teens. I looked at a 13-year-old boy, and I saw someone who is in a season of finding out who God has created him to be, and he's simply choosing who he wants to become. I said, hey, Anthony, I love you. He was very quick to look me in the eye and say Miss Mariah I know you do I tried to be just as quick and I said how do you know his response filled me with hope I know because y'all tell me that y'all love me every day and y'all show me that y'all love me every day this time last year Anthony would question our love for him every time we told him those three words I love you why do you say that? Why do you do that? I left, dinner, I left dinner encouraged by a 13-year-old boy who is learning to receive and choosing to grow. We know it's the love of Jesus that changes hearts. Jesus is drawing people to himself every single day, she writes. Be persistent in love. He, his ways are always higher than our ways. The missionaries that we will go remain focused on consistently communicating the love of Jesus to their neighbors. Not only are they encouraged by Anthony, but we're encouraged by the telling of this story. A love brick gets laid. When we in community focus our eyes on Jesus Christ, we are unified for the very best and very right purposes. When we in community act in love To build up the faith of each other, we do so to the glory of God. It becomes a visible act of worship. The output of a building community is a product, a strengthened faith of a young life or an aging saint. The product of a building community is a tangible, visible worship that our neighbors will see. We shouldn't be surprised when they pick up a hammer and join in. We practice faith building on each other to the point that we find ourselves loving and building up our neighbors in new ways. Verse six says that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. A Christian community that is focused on Jesus Christ, a community who seeks to build up and please another over their own interests, is able to express a unified voice of worship to God That faith community, unified and worshiping, becomes an unavoidable witness of Jesus to the observing neighbors around them. Grant Osborne writes this, if their community life, he's talking about the church in Rome, if their community life was harmonious, God would be glorified by their united worship and united witness. Such a united witness at the heart of the Roman Empire would be an incomparable factor in the furtherance of the gospel. Let me take a little liberty and rewrite that for us. If the community life at University Presbyterian Church was so harmonious, God would be glorified by your united worship and witness. Imagine what that witness planted in the university district in Seattle, Washington, could do to advance the good news of Jesus Christ. As I prepared for this sermon, I came across an obituary of a doctor who passed away a couple years ago. As I learned about her, my faith became encouraged and strengthened. I'd like to share a couple excerpts from her obituary. Dr. Jan Houston Pryor, prominent breast cancer surgeon and diagnostician, mother of 12, in a loving, wild, and amazing family. Jan and her favorite dog, Peter Paul, died tragically on March 21, 2017. She was born in Illinois, raised in Wisconsin, graduated with a nursing degree from Michigan State, and then a master's degree, and then finally went to medical school. Following a number of years as a vascular and general surgeon, she found her professional calling to provide diagnosis and surgical treatment of breast disease. She founded Summit Breast Care, opening several offices where patients, including the uninsured, received great care. She also served as medical director at a couple other hospitals and was advanced in her research. Jan considered it a privilege to be a doctor, never losing her compassion and respect for all of her patients. In addition addition to Jan's legacy as a skilled physician, she leaves a loving, wild, and amazing family. Jan and Jonathan have 12 children, including 10 adopted from Texas, Guatemala, Mexico, Russia, China and Ethiopia. Confident in her deep faith and strong marriage, Jan felt called to adopt a number of older children with traumatic histories, believing that they could thrive in a loving Christian family and supportive community. Drawing on her faith helped her to overcome obstacles, and she inspired her patients and her children to do the same. She survived by her loving husband, Jonathan Pryor, whom she described as her rock and calming influence. Jan's life and her death impacted her community greatly. As a doctor, she effectively helped women through the dark days of breast cancer, and as a mother, she opened her home to as many as she could. Her husband described her as an evangelist to their friends, telling them that they too should adopt orphans. A beautiful life grounded on Jesus Christ. Well, let me close where I began, in the subway, New York City. You remember, right? Do you remember that man who lifted my bag, the really big football player? Somewhere I had written down his first name, Jonathan, and I had written down UCLA football, and I had written down the late 1980s, and so I hit the internet. I was super curious to find out whatever happened to this guy, who is he? I was really curious to find out, does he maybe know Jesus too? I Googled him and I found him. He's still working in Manhattan. I also found his wife's obituary. You see, he's the Jonathan who's married to Dr. Jan, and together they raised 12 children. His wife passed away after I met him, and I realized that the act of kindness in the subway that day was nothing new or special for Jonathan it was only a reflection of who he is, of who his family is. They are people who offer kindness and a welcome to strangers, people whose acts reminded me of Jesus. I found Jonathan on LinkedIn and I sent him a message last week. We've never interacted since that day in the subway. And I was curious if he would remember me. He wrote back, Jennifer, thanks for reaching out. Yes, I do remember you too. You can absolutely tell my story. God definitely works in mysterious ways. Jan's time was over here on earth, and she lived every minute for others. Keep the faith, he wrote. And then he said, By the way, I'm a very active Presbyterian. I'm an elder at my church, and I've been teaching middle school Sunday school for the last 20 years. It came as no surprise to me that when I reached out to Jonathan and wondered who he was, it came at no surprise that at the root of who he is, is Jesus. Friends, the Jesus who turned Paul's life around The Jesus who through Jonathan reminded me of a lifted burden. The Jesus who encourages you through a friend when you're stuck and you can't go on. The Jesus who won't stop saying, I love you. He's available to you. And if you don't have a Jesus brick laid in your life, you can begin building today. As we pray, you can ask that Jesus take your burden and he will. He's strong enough. He's willing. And he will lay a foundation in your life that will give you life. A burden will be lifted and a brick will be laid. And if you pray and ask Jesus into your heart today, would you please tell someone? Tell your parent or a youth leader or Pastor George or me. The reason we want to know is we want to help you build a life of faith. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word, written so long ago by a man whose life you changed. We believe these words today are for us. We believe your kindness comes alongside of us in crowded subways, at school, at work, and in all those chaotic places in our life. Thank you for grabbing our heavy, our heavy bags. Thank you for taking our sin, our burden, the lies we tell ourselves, and replacing them with your love and your grace. Jesus, we pray for those in this room who are trusting you for the first time. Thank you. May today be a new day for all of us. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.